Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Probably my favorite verse in the Bible, or set of verses in the Bible. I have talked about it before as I was looking at some, a previous message I did about six months ago. I was like, wow, I just preached on this. But I promise it won't be the same message. But it just, there's something here that I just, I really wanted to um, kind of share today. And uh, in this passage, Paul says, uh, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, today I want to talk about this idea of perseverance. Um, and, but perseverance from the standpoint of faith and how that is exemplified in our everyday life. Um, perseverance when it's not just uh, waiting that is required, or, but, but faith that no matter what happens, whether, whether things turn out well or, or they don't, but our confidence is not in our situation, but in Christ. Um, a historian named Mary Stockwell wrote this uh, really short article uh, on the winter that the Continental Army, uh, the Continental Army spent in Valley Forge, and it, it really kind of struck me, and I, I just wanted to, to uh, share this with you. She said, in December 1777, George Washington moved the Continental Army to their winter headquarters at Valley Forge. Though revolutionary forces had just um, just secured a pivotal victory at Saratoga in September and October. Woohoo! Go Saratoga. Um, the rebel capital, Philadelphia, uh, Washington's army suffered defeats in Brandywine, Paoli, and Germantown. The rebel capital, Philadelphia, also fell into British hands. By the time the army marched into, into Valley Forge on December 19th, they were suffering not only from cold, hunger, and fatigue, but low morale in the wake of the disastrous Philadelphia campaign. Only 20 miles from the British-occupied Philadelphia in eastern Pennsylvania, Valley Forge presented a strategic location that allowed Washington's army to stay close to the city while maintaining a defensible position that offered access to clean water and firewood. However, in spite of these advantages, Washington's army was ill-prepared for the encampment that would last six months. The army's supply of basic necessities like food and clothing ran, ran perpetually short. Coupled with the wintertime cold and the, and the diseases that ran rampant through the camp, this lack of provision created the infamously miserable conditions at Valley Forge. The, uh, the Valley Forge encampment consisted of as many as 12,000 con uh, continentals as well as smaller numbers of African American and Native American soldiers. While wintering in the camp, soldiers worked together to build huts and shelter, but unsanitary conditions and shortage of food and blankets contributed to the disease and exhaustion which, which continually plagued the camp. The lack of clothing alone, including shoes, socks, and coats, left as many as 3,000 of Washington troops un Washington's troops unfit for service, creating the image of starving, wearied soldiers leaving bloodied footprints in the snow and ice. Though Washington pleaded with the Continental, Con Continental Congress and the state gover governors to obtain food and supplies for his suffering army, 
The starvation, typhus, smallpox, and a lack of protection from the elements caused the death of more than 2,000 of the soldiers. Washington's, all, Washington's steady leadership was crucial in keeping the army intent through the logistical and administrative hardships of the winter of 1777 through 78. And likely, it accounted for the fact that there was never a mass desertion or mutiny at Valley Forge. Despite brutal conditions, Valley Forge marked a milestone in the Army's military experience. News of the French alliance with the Americans came in May of 1778, a few weeks before the Army's um, departure from the camp in June. Revitalized, reorganized, and uniformly trained, the Army would forge ahead and display their newfound professionalism and discipline at the Battle of Monmouth just nine days later. Valley Forge was significant not only for the reshaping of Washington's Army, but for the dedication and endurance and resilience in the American cause for independence. I really like this story. I've been sort of on this um, history kick lately, reading a lot about the Revolutionary War period and just other parts of American history that I just, you know, I've always found fascinating. And it's been interesting seeing how the Revolutionary War, uh, the revolution was much more complex than just simply fighting a few battles and eventually defeating the British. Um, You begin to see this success was not easy and it didn't come quickly and it came at a very high price. The first victory for the Americans didn't come for 18 months into the war and the the Americans experienced defeat after defeat and to add to that it seemed that like they were losing even when they weren't even fighting like we see the 2,000 soldiers that lost their lives at Valley Forge. It was easier to fight. It's often easier to fight when when you've at least had a little success that you can fall back on. And you can at least say, yeah, we're not doing the greatest, but we've at least got this going for us. Um, Football season just started a couple weeks ago, and I I couldn't help but think about a football analogy (laughs) to tie in with all this. And um, any uh, Cleveland Browns fans? (laughs) <laughs> they, they won their first, I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> 600 something days. Um, but it's like when your football team is down 0-8 for the season, uh, but they're, they're trying to still hold on to this hope of the playoffs. And in reality, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's technically a mathematical chance, but seriously, a lot of things have to occur for that to, to happen. I mean, it, it's, it's a long shot. The realistic person would say, uh, just make it through this regular season. Try to win at least one game so you don't embarrass yourself. Get your draft pick and then rebuild and then just move on to the next season. Um, from, but what you see here with um, the, the standpoint of um, faith is there isn't anything quick and easy about it. And, and you, you say, yeah, we've lost eight, but there's still eight more. And we can just, we can just you know, take one at a time and push through and we can eventually see success. And, and, uh, and that's, that's awesome. But so many times we just feel like that's not realistic. Why would we think that way? Um, to try to enter the playoffs, losing eight in a row and then winning eight in a row. In fact, when we hold this idea that at some point we arrive at some point we defeat the enemy or win the championship game, if, if we hold the expectation that we've lost, if we hold that expectation, then we've lost sight to what God has actually called us to. 
Our faith is a journey. It's a, it's a process of obedience and, and transformation um, according to the word of God. And this message isn't intended to say if we simply just work harder and, and try to keep our heads up, then things will just start to get better. And um, this isn't at all what, what I'm talking about. It's more about this idea that even when we feel like we were given the short straw in life and when we feel like we heard from God but nothing has worked out for us the way we, we were expecting it to, like wh- where is our confidence in in that situation? At some point in our life, we may have had a strong sense of who God is and maybe a, a zeal to live 100% for Him and just, and just really go for it. We may have started this race, this faith journey that Paul was talking about, pumped up like, like we can do this, but then things started to happen. Fatigue crept in, resistance, adversity, um, maybe lies from the enemy, uh, simple whispers of, of you really can't do this. Why are you even trying? The good news is you aren't the first person to have ever experienced this. The Bible is full of people whose faith was tested beyond anything any of us probably will likely endure. It, it, was, it was tested by persecution, adversity, and, and waiting years and decades for a promise to be fulfilled. And people who faced seemingly impossible situations. In Hebrews 11, we find this, this really great passage. It's, it's often called to the, referred to as the Hall of Faith. Um, it paints a picture of faith as something we hold on to despite the odds we face or situations we encounter. And it gives uh, meaning to what, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Remember that old song, Trading My Sorrows? I mean, it, it was just a great song. It's like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's, that's what this is all about. We're trading our sorrows for his joy, for steadfast confidence in who he is, not in our situation. In Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, it says, if you want to turn there, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, after he was warmed, he was warmed about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, Noah built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was, she was past the age, since she considered that the one who promised was faithful, she conceived. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, by faith. I mean, there's like uh, probably 30 examples of this in this passage. And then it says, And what more can I say? Time is too short for me 
to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. What a really great passage of scripture, scripture just to like describe what faith is. Determination at all costs. Whether it's 40 years from now, whether it's after 5,000 things have gone wrong or, or just facing insurmountable odds, we remain confident that his word will not return void. So what is it about this, this uh, faith idea that makes it so hard to apply oftentimes in our life? Like what's the difference between you know, these people we see in the Bible and just you know, us living today that really struggle in this area to, to, to have this sort of confidence that isn't shaken? There's a, there's a lot that I think we could probably unpack with this um, and, and you know, try to look at here. But there's, there's one thing that was standing out to me as I was reading and studying for today. And um, we just read in, in Hebrews and, uh, that faith is, is the reality of what is hoped for. The first verse, the proof of what is not seen. When you have proof of something, you know it to be true. And even if you have not seen the reality of it, you still know it to be true. It's like if I was to, to just randomly drop something on the ground right now. I could, I, the microphone is the only thing I want to reach for, but I don't want to drop the microphone. We all have a pretty good idea about what the um, outcome is going to be if I let go. And even though I haven't let go, you still know what's going to happen. Um, it's that certainty of things that have not been seen is what we're talking about. And um, faith creates this confidence that even though we have not experienced the reality of the things hoped for, uh, it is the proof that it will happen. And faith isn't just a belief either. It's not like something like we hear in like a Hallmark movie or a card that, you know, have faith and believe. Uh, it's, it's a confidence and a certainty. Um, a famous psychologist, Angela Lee uh, Duxworth, wrote a book called Grit. The Power and Passion of Perseverance. I haven't actually read the book, but I saw a couple of quotes recently that really stuck with me. Um, and in it, she says, Grit is the ability to persevere in pursuing a future goal over a long period of time and not giving up. It is having stamina. It's sticking with it day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years until you see your goal become a reality. Grit is living like life is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I, I have a feeling this is probably just a typical self-help book about, you know, just work hard and follow your dreams. But this is, there's a, there's a part about this that really, it just kind of like made me realize that this is, you know, thinking about faith in terms of grit, it's, it's a really cool, cool perspective. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 3. Run with perseverance, forgetting what is behind and keeping your eyes fixed on the goal. Grit is the relentless resolve to keep pursuing and not giving up. I'm a huge John Wayne fan. 
And uh, any of you who are two probably know exactly where I'm going with this. Uh, in 1969, he won an Academy Award for his role in the movie um, True Grit. And it's probably one of my favorite movies. Um, it's on Netflix, so you can watch it. <laughs> Your wife will make fun of you, or <laughs> whatever, but it's, it's a great movie. Um, if you like westerns, if you like John Wayne. In the movie, he plays this gruff, one-eyed U.S. Marshal named Rooster Cogburn. And he gets hired by this young girl named Maddie Ross to go after this, this guy who murdered her father. And uh, in the story, Rooster Cogburn is this old drunk who, is, who has a reputation for, for being a trigger-happy trigger you know, guy and doesn't really you know, have much concern for you know, true justice. He's just like, you know, this is what I need to do and this is what I'll do um, to, to bring justice. And after finally tracking down the killer, it leads to this really great shootout at the end of the movie. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite lines in any movie. And, um, it's fill your hands, you bleepity bleep. You can watch the movie if you want to find out, but it's a great movie. <laughs> I do recommend it, but not as a pastor, as a guy who just loves John Wayne. <laughs> um, if you, if you epitomize this, this quintessential tough guy, um, this is what it's about. Uh, nothing can stop, it's a nothing can stop me persona. Be, and uh, because of this movie, I had this idea that grit basically meant you had guts. You were fearless and uh, like, like a laugh at the face of danger. And despite his obvious character um, flaws as a person, uh, Rooster Crogburn, um, in the story, as the story unfolds, you start to see his gruff persona change into someone who is willing to push through, um, to serve, and to protect at all costs. And it, it, it completely changes his character throughout the movie. Grit is actually a very biblical idea. It means courage and resolve. It directly correlates to the way um, we're talking about faith right now. And in the Bible's uh, terms for grit would be uh, steadfastness and endurance. Um, steadfastness is the determination to remain at your post come hell or high water. Endurance is the determination to keep moving towards the goal despite any challenges and fatigue you encounter. Biblical steadfastness and endurance comes from faith that rests on the promises of God. It is able to strive hard and stand firm because it is empowered by God's grace. Faith comes from the confidence of who God is and what he does, what he, and that he does what he says. Faith produces grit, a resolute determination that nothing will sway or hinder us from crossing the finish line. When we commit our lives to Christ, uh, it, it does not mean everything will just automatically be easy for us and, uh, from then on. And when God speaks or gives us a word or a promise, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the road will be easy. It does not mean the results will be immediate. It does not mean there will be just no adversity or hardship. But it is through faith that we hold onto the promise. It is the faith that enables us to persevere, to keep our eyes fixed on that for which God has called us in Christ Jesus. How many times in our life when things get hard uh, or they aren't as easy as, as you thought they should be that we question whether we, we heard God correctly. We question whether we made the wrong choice. Uh, when things fall apart, 
or get harder than we expected, where does that leave us? There are things in our lives that, that require a bit more of a fight than we often give. And we sometimes retreat way too easy. And when I say retreat, I, I, I mean that we literally do pull back and don't hold our ground. That is not faith. Faith creates grit. It is a resolute and immovable position that it creates in us. Circumstances don't sway. I told this story about Valley Forge because I think it is important for us to understand faith as more than just this pretty um, idea we say when we want to believe in something. Um, our faith is meant to enable us to succeed in the spiritual battle we face every day. Have you ever heard of the shield of faith? It's a real thing. It's in the Bible. It's a part of the armor of God. Ephesians 6 tells us to take up the shield of faith. What do shields do? They protect. And how do they protect? Stuff just bounces off of them. The, the, the arrows, the spears, it's, it, it enables us to push forward in offense and keep our eyes fixed and not be worried about what the enemy is actually doing around us. Our shield is what enables us to withstand the attacks, the fiery darts of the evil one, the Bible says. It allows us to hold fast to the truth and the promises of God. I want to try and bring this down to earth for, for a bit. And some of us might have a particular dream God has given us. It can be anything. I mean, starting a company, being a missionary, pursuing a particular career, maybe even an area of character or sin in our life we are trying to overcome. It could be anything. When I was, when I was working in um, Youth with a Mission, I was around a, a lot of young adults who spent a lot of time praying and seeking God about that one thing the call he had on their life and the work he had for them to do. And um, after having felt God speak to them uh, and give them peace about a particular direction, what would usually happen was they would come home from their time in YWAM and all amped up and ready to hit the ground running, fundraising to uh, go back in the mission field, working towards this goal or going to college to work in that career path. Um, they, things would, would get hard and they, they, would, they would hit a, a, a snag, a roadblock. The getting ready part of the call was harder than they were expecting. They'd pull back a bit and because they were discouraged, they, they seemed to just sort of become stationary. They would start to get a little complacent and... All of a sudden, they, were moving toward, they weren't moving towards anything anymore. And I was like, what happened? I, I thought God spoke to you about this thing. You're just giving up on it. They'd say, I don't know. It, was just, it just wasn't for me. I just think I rushed into it maybe. I need to be patient and wait a bit longer until the timing is right, I guess. I can't count how many times I've heard something similar to this. It's, it's getting too hard. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this after all. Maybe I heard him wrong. My mom does this sometimes, and um, it's funny because she's, she's an amazing, you know, she'll actually be here next week, so you can remember, maybe ask about this story, but um, I remember when I was like 10 years old, um, 
and I wanted to go spend some money I'd earned from doing some chores around the house. And we go out to the car, and it won't start. The battery was dead. Uh, this happened after, you know, we'd spent about 10 minutes trying to find the car keys. And uh, her response was, well, I guess God just doesn't want us to go to the store. I was like, no, no, I, he does. He does. We just need to find the car charger. <laughs> it's funny, but I feel like all of us have, have been here at some point. We interpret difficulties or resistance or, or maybe this is a sign I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm not going to say God won't try to get our attention in this way but to maybe you know, pull us back on track or, or whatever that may be. But we need to not confuse hardship or difficulty with maybe I heard wrong when I thought God was speaking to me. Maybe I should pull back to a safer and, and easier place. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says to count it all Joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials and difficulties don't mean we're outside of God's will. In fact, it's usually his way of making us stronger. Let's, let's say, for example, there's a person who believes God is calling them into the mission field to, to be a doctor. They believe God has given this specific call on their life to minister to people in poor countries by helping them with their medical needs. It's a powerful calling. But before they begin, there's this really important thing to realize. It's a very long road. Just because you feel you have this calling on your life, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easier for you than everyone else who wants to be a doctor. It doesn't mean you'll breeze through organic chemistry or you'll, you'll, you'll get every single physics problem the first time. It doesn't mean you'll get along with every professor and you'll, you'll see the purpose of every frustrating assignment and wonder, how is this actually preparing me for medical school? It doesn't even mean you'll get, the get into the first medical school you apply to and that you'll experience no hurdles or rejection along the way. It doesn't mean everyone will be on your side and even believe in you. What if a family member, a close friend, or someone you look up to says, you know, I really don't think you should, just, you should pursue this doctor thing. I think it's too hard and I don't think it's worth it for you. This example might not be something you can, you can personally relate to, but I'm sure you can draw parallels between this and something else in your life. The elements here cross over to almost anything we counter in our walk with Christ. Our jobs, our dreams, our relationships, even our marriages. I think, I can't think of more, of a more real battleground for faith than, than being married. This is one of, this, this one area of our life is one that all too often becomes a breeding ground for unmet expectations. We often enter our marriages with this ideal and, and preconceived notion of just marital bliss. Um, our happily ever after, so to speak. And only we get disappointed and even frustrated when the dreams and expectations we had for marriage fell completely short. I'm sure there's some in here whose marriages are doing great and truly a testament to God's 
goodness. But others in here might be experiencing marriage that, a marriage that's, that's really hanging on by a thread. And you're, you're really not sure what tomorrow even looks like for you. As husbands and wives in here, your relationship to your spouse is literally the most valuable thing in your life. Worth fighting for at all costs. We've been talking a lot about life callings and things that require perseverance and steadfastness. If you get married, this is your calling to your spouse. I recently read a book called Mindset by a lady named Carol Dweck. And it, it was a pretty good book, but she had some thoughts that I wanted to share here. In the book, she describes people as either having a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. People in a fixed mindset believe you either are or aren't good at something based on your inerrant nature. It's just who you are. It's just the way things are. People in a growth mindset, on the other hand, believe anyone can be good at something, anything, or change anything about themselves because of your abilities, because your abilities are entirely a result of your actions and how you respond. Regarding how this impacts our marriage, she says, Having a fixed mindset means believing your personal traits are fixed. But in relationships, two more things enter the picture. Your partner and the relationship itself. Now, you can have a fixed mindset about three things. You can believe that your, your qualities are fixed, your partner's qualities are fixed, and the relationship's qualities are fixed. That it's inherently good or bad, meant to be or not meant to be. However... The growth mindset says all of these things can be developed. All you, your partner, and the relationship are capable of growth and change. In the fixed mindset, the ideal is instant, perfect, and perpetual compatibility, like it was meant to be. The problem with the fixed mindset is that it says if you have to work at it, it wasn't meant to be. People with the fixed mindset expect everything good to happen automatically. If a relationship were the right one, the couple wouldn't have to work so hard. If it were the right relationship, they would just be able to understand one another, each other's needs. One of the most destructive beliefs for a relationship is if we need to work at it, there's something seriously wrong. Every marriage demands an effort to keep it on the right track. There is a constant tension between the forces that hold you together and those that can tear you apart. She's a secular author, um, but this idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset really plays into this image of perseverance and having a steadfast and immovable faith. If a relationship were the right one, we wouldn't have to work so hard. This is the whole crux of the message today. If things get harder than we expected, if we have to wait 40 years for God's promise to be fulfilled, or sit in a pit with hungry lions, what happens to our faith then? What happens to our confidence in the promises of God? How often do we question whether we are in the will of God based on whether things are easy or not? How much do we engage in our faith based on whether circumstances are good or bad? Do we give up and retreat the moment things get tough? As we close today, I'd, I'd like to invite the band up and we're just going to sing, um, sing a, a song together. But I believe some of us genuinely, genuinely need a touch from God this morning in this area. Some of us really need to see a tremendous increase 
in our level of faith. Our confidence in who we are in Christ. And some of us have been truly shaken and rattled by circumstances in our life. It's left us in this place of questioning. Questioning the position we have in Christ. Questioning whether we are whether we are ever going to see victory. In Romans um, chapter 8, verses 37, it says, In all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Two things in this passage. We are loved a whole heck of a lot. And nothing can separate us from that. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Some of us here might be asking the question, where are you, God? You might be in this, this uh, true metaphorical period of a waiting for 40 years to see God move in your life. And you might feel like you are in your own personal lion's den. My encouragement today is keep your faith in Christ, not in your circumstances, not on unmet expectations, not on the letdowns and disappointments. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Let's stand and sing together. Mm-hmm.